What's up, fam? Welcome to Minicast Monday, the short-form podcast that brings inspiring and empowering information, messages, and soundbites from previous episodes to provide that spark or that fire for you to attack your life, to finally attack it, those fears, those insecurities, and those flaws, so that you can live the best life possible as the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. In this episode, we listen back to a few clips from episode 5 of the Open Up podcast with Finn Johnson, a retired armoured vehicle gunner who spent time at war in Afghanistan, whose story really highlights the power that being open and vulnerable has when we're attempting to deal with or process traumatic events. Now he endures some heartbreaking and horrific loss that would leave most of us with severe PTSD or force us to mask with things like substance abuse but he deals with it in an entirely different way, a way that we generally wouldn't expect from someone at war. I started my infantry training, which is like foot soldier training, which goes for another three months. About two months into infantry corps training, I was out in exercise, living in a hole, essentially, learning to rough it. I got pulled out of the, the field um, for a phone call, and it was a phone call from my grandma saying that my brother had died in a car crash. So. Bit of a shock, not really expecting it. My mind was set on in the army, having uh, that phone call come through that my brother and two of his other mates had died in a car crash, one survivor. It was kind of a bit of a shock to me. Yeah, I didn't really did. know how to take it as a as a 20 year old. I, I've been to maybe one funeral of like an elderly person, but like loss for me at that stage was very, very rare. and I hadn't really experienced it. So that was kind of my first experience of losing someone. I knew I just had to be strong for my parents and that. And that's what I did, went back for the funeral. As you can imagine, mum and dad pretty pretty upset. And my biggest goal then was just to be strong for them. And just having the support of friends and that, I suppose. Like after the funeral, I think I had another three days off. Yep. And then I went back to, to finish off my last month and a half of infantry corps training. And that so, pretty much put my mind back on, on what yep. I needed to be doing. So you had the three days off. Did yep. you have any other real time where you got to process it at all? Just talking about it. You know, everyone's tiptoes around you and shit when you get back from something like that. As it's yeah. as, as, as natural, man. Like, you know, but so you were open to talking I was open about straight away, it, and man. the boys there were open to talking about it. With and, you know, they're a little bit more standoffish because, like, you know, they're not people aren't used to hearing that shit. Yeah. Like, you tell someone about it, oh fuck, like, wow, how are you feeling? How are you so alright? I'm like, well, this is my way of getting it out. Like, yeah. this makes me feel better. If I can talk about it, man. yeah. If I want to talk about it, I'll talk it's about cool. it. It's cool. No, it's it's cool because <laughs> yeah. Like, obviously, you've got this mental toughness and. Yeah and you use these negative or seemingly negative things to power you forward but to hear you say that your way of dealing with it was to open up is amazing because a lot of people that work in this space obviously don't open up and share their stories i do i do hope that what i've just said like kind of clicks in some people's heads like fuck maybe i do just start talking about it because i tell you what no one's gonna fucking judge you when that shit happens no and that's that's the fear (laughs) yeah that's the fear fear, people have Everyone's just gonna give you a fucking hand and help you out, and yeah, once you realise that shit, like, yeah. it's all yeah. good. Yeah, some people aren't gonna be yeah. cool about it. They're gonna be awkward because it's not yeah, something it ma- that they. It makes them feel awkward. Yeah, man. exactly. Like, so it makes them they don't know how to deal with that shit because they haven't dealt with it. But the majority of people, man, yeah. you'll be surprised of how supportive they are. Yeah, sweet. So that's, that's cool. So finished that and then flew to Bamiyan, Afghanistan, okay. on a on Hercules. And then when you first step foot on the ground, you're surrounded by all these mountains. Still a bit snow-capped because it's just coming out of winter. Yep. 
And yeah, it kind of shit just sits in there. It's all a bit of fun and games, you know, at the start, because it's all exciting, it's a new experience. Yep. But then as the rest of the crew rolls in from New Zealand, you start doing your job and you start, okay. you know, rolling through the day-to-day life of being over there. Five days time, we're flying you out on the Chinook to Romero, which is our forward operating base north of Banyan. So you know, five days later, American Chinook comes in, night, middle of the night, load up on that. So really interesting, you've never seen one of those, never been on one, and the next thing you know you're on it, and you're fucking off. You're off to another place you don't know where you're going. And it's the middle of the night. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like the helicopter's flying on night vision, and it's pitch black. So you can't even see out the windows. <laughs> yeah, weird, eh? It's insane. Yeah, they land there, you get out the back, and you're just there, and you're like, what the fuck? And we spent a week or so there, and then we found out that we were the first troop to be going to this place called Duabi which was one of the more dangerous areas. Um, obviously mounted our vehicles, which we had had handed over to us, and then we drove out. And the place we were staying was an old mud brick house. And literally it's made out of donkey shit and mud. And they pack it all together and then it hardens. And Ooh. you live in that. So that was a pretty out of experience. I was there for 10 weeks. And over that 10 weeks, our main role was to earn the, the trust and, and the mindfulness of the people. And at the same time was there to be a security force. So the Taliban didn't infiltrate and make the Taliban law. From there on through, Romero was all good, nothing happened then, and then we were patrolling down a place called the Shikari Valley, and our, and our job that day was clearance for roadside bombs, because yep. what had actually happened a week before, the boys were clearing the other road, and they had a Afghan police vehicle following them, mm-hmm. and the Taliban detonated a roadside bomb on the um, Afghan police, and oh, killed well. all five people in it, blew them to pieces. But I was lucky enough to have my vehicle break down in a riverbed, so I was there getting that oh, fixed. Well, yeah. So the, the other boys, they all had to pick up all the body parts and that. So as I said, we were patrolling a um, week or two later, we were patrolling a road clearing for roadside bombs because we knew they were around and we had already had some bombs handed to us yep. from the, the locals that were like, they don't want to be blown up either, so they give them to you. Patrolling through, all good. And we had another group of vehicles patrolling the other way and we pulled over for something to eat and I was eating my tuna and crackers, yep. leaning up against a tree, and then it's a whole lot of like commotion, like gunfire and shit. It kind of takes a few seconds to realize, and we realize, oh fuck, we've been ambushed. So ambushed from both sides of the mountainside, and the other vehicles were also ambushed. Yeah, got ambushed, mounted our vehicle, went down, patrolled, fired into the hills, as you do, supporting fire. And from there, shit started to get pretty, I suppose, confusing. They call it the fog of war, so because it was so unexpected mm-hmm. and because we were ambushed, it's, it's a very, very hard position to be in because you're on, you're on the ground, on the flat, and they're in the hills. And those hills are massive. And you can't, they're hiding behind rocks and shit. It's a massive hill. Yeah. You can't see them. You don't know what's going on. There's shit going everywhere. It's, well, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy, man. Yeah. Like, it's so, kind of hard to explain. Well, I suppose that's where your like, fight or flight kicks in. Like, you've been trained to fight, so you fight. Okay. There's no such thing. You can't run away. You can't just go running up there. You'll get shot. So you just go in and, yeah, do what you can do to kind of get out of that position. Mitigate the losses, I suppose you call it. Yeah. And then from there, we had our first call over the radio of uh, Man Down. And that was a guy named Rory who had got out of his vehicle to save our boss or our head boss who had been shot through the shoulder. Yeah. He got out of the vehicle, saved him, pulled him behind the car, and then he got shot once in the chest and then got shot again yeah so went through um one hit the body armor and then one went through the side i think and he died 
um, that's when shit kind of got real. Like we have one, that's when it comes over the radio, we have one KIA and then straight away it's like one dead. So it's me like, oh God, this is getting real. And then after that, my flatmate or my, and my mate was situated behind us in his vehicle. Yeah. And as the commander, they stand up and I, he was firing with his um, 7.62 machine gun off the top and his uh, smoke grenade got hit by a bullet and it caught him fire. Mm-hmm. So he jumped back down and then went back up to put it out. When he went back to put it out, he got shot in the head. Wow. Yeah, and he, he did, obviously died as well. Yeah, we didn't. So there was another KAA call on the radio. So then we're still there like, oh, fuck. Like, so we got out of there and I was manning my vehicle. My flatmate, he was over to the side, still alive at this stage. Yeah. Um, and he had my other friend, I don't know if I mentioned Baldy, James Baldwin. Who was our driver? He was looking after him, um, and so was Vanna, my commander. Yeah. So I, my job was to sit in the vehicle and act security. So I was security in my vehicle, um, and because my vehicle had been immobilized, we had hit the wall or something, and the tide fucked yeah. out. So I had to go to another vehicle, and the vehicle I got put in was actually um, my flatmate Prali, his vehicle, the guy that had just been shot. Yeah. So his driver was still in there. And then I got put into his vehicle and the gunner's there. So you can imagine, like, someone's been shot from the head. That vehicle was pretty messed up. So it's the first thing you think is, holy fuck. It's like, the blood and shit. It's like, oh, fuck, I just wipe it away. you got to get on with your job, you know? It doesn't really click in. And then after that, things started to, like, calm down a little bit. We caught caught one of the um, Taliban in the hills, brought him back down. He got sent back to our camp with us. And then, yeah, kind of, it all started. You see, you start to reflect on what just happened. Like this is seven hours later and yeah. it feels like seven minutes <laughs> you kind of recap on what's going to happen before you head back to camp and how you're going to do it okay. the most effectively and safely and at the same time we're getting like body bags of like national afghan police brought to us as well who have also been shot and killed like we're sitting in the back of the vehicle getting transported back there's like a body in between you like, at that stage you're oh. so over it it's like yeah whatever as a team did you ever sit and talk each other through how you were coping with it? Yeah, so I had some friends that did seek help and things like that. Yeah. One of my closest friends from there, Dave, he's um, actually was one of my groomsmen at my wedding. And uh, yeah, we talk about it all the time. We even talked about it when it was over here in December. Okay. On the first coast. We still talk about it. Yeah. And we talked about it with another guy that used to be in the army with us, but has now left. He wasn't over there with us, but he had been over there on another trip. Yeah. So we talked about it with him. And um, I think that's why me and especially Dave, like, we were good mates with the guy that got our mate that got killed. Mm-hmm. So, like for us to break down, like it's it's not really fair on him. Yeah, he was a hard to pick man. You know, yeah. he, he used to call him the Ice Man. Well, didn't give you enough, I know. Yeah, but when you got to know him, real good dude. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, you said um, when you're dealing with the loss of your brother, that opening up and sharing, talking to people, mm. was what you use, I guess, to process. Was that what you used to process? these situations while you were yeah, away at war? exactly the same. I learned that worked really well. Yeah. From that first experience, I thought, fuck, I'll use it again. Man, I absolutely <laughs> did not expect that from yeah. someone in the military to be opening up. I thought you would have bottled it up, but nah, that's that was awesome. the biggest problem, man. It's not just people in the military. It's the biggest problem with every person that has an issue or something. It's all over the TV. Talk about it. Take that shit for real. No matter how small it is, if it's affecting you, like, yeah, my story's a bit bigger than maybe some other people's stories, but... Now, don't compare your story to my story and don't think it's worth talking about. Yeah. I can just talk about it. It'll help you out. The most powerful takeaway from this for me 
is that Finn actually opens up about all of these incidents and understands that this is his unique way of dealing with it even amongst the chaos and death of war. This is powerful because he allows himself to get what he's thinking and feeling out so that he's not internalizing it, letting it fester until it becomes too much of a burden emotionally. Now most of the barriers for anyone who has experienced or endured trauma is the fear of being misunderstood or made to feel that what you're feeling is unjustified or that your vulnerability is a burden to those you open up to. What Finn also highlights is that yes, some people may not know how to deal with what you say because they themselves have not experienced anything traumatic that gives them the ability to empathize. But when you open up, you'll be surprised at the level of support you receive like Finn got through speaking to his friends in the army. So my question to you is, what is it you're bottling up? What is it that you're holding on to that's causing you stress? And how would your life change? How would you feel if you were finally able to be vulnerable and actually open up about it? Because if someone like Finn, someone who's experienced what he has, can feel comfortable and confident doing so, then there's no doubt that we can too. Ciao.